You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 145, A Humanitarian Crisis or a Trafficking Recruiter's Marketplace. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, this is one, uh, all three of these things, of course, are things you're doing daily. And we talked in a previous episode about your recent visit to Istanbul and you are heading back to that part of the world here uh, in just another month or two to uh, work in Greece this summer. And if you've, of course, uh, used to live in Greece, um, but I'm curious, what is bringing you back this time? Uh, because I know you're doing some really exciting things, uh, it sounds like, from what I've heard so far. Oh, it is. It's almost overwhelming. And a person could look at what we're going to do and say, will that really make a difference? And I want to, from the very beginning, say, I realize this is a huge issue, and I'm taking a class with 12 students. What can we do? But I believe that if everyone does something, then we can make a difference. And so we are committed to moving the needle just a little bit. When I was in Istanbul, one of the uh, presenters at the forum told us that there were more than 10,000 children missing from the refugee camps for the Syrians escaping war. And those were mostly presumed trafficked. As we prepared for a country study, which is an annual summer course out of Vanguard University, for a country study in Greece, it became very clear that the Syrian refugee crisis on the shores of Greece coming into the islands in the city of Athens are at a critical phase. And so how do we address our country study on human trafficking and not include the issues around refugee crisis? Probably the most important principle that we think about in prevention is risk management. And when we do prevention, we try to engage a person's logic and we ask them not to accept a job in another country. And frankly, I I remember a few years ago, someone sent me um, a job application and they said, wow, you could make a lot of money if you went to Qatar to work. And I already know that a lot of those jobs are, are scams and can be human trafficking. And so I looked at that, and even if it was legitimate, I weighed my options. I have a risk management filter in my head. Would I leave my home? Would I leave? I already have a car. I have a job. So so the the issues about would I take that, that high-risk job opportunity to make a big six-figure salary didn't take me very long to say, eh, I don't think so. But if you can think of yourself escaping 
war, leaving everything behind but what you can carry. And now you're being told by the international community that these camps are going to stay open for decades. Uh, We hosted a young man from South Sudan last fall as our State Department fellow here at the Global Center for Women and Justice. He grew up in a refugee camp in South Sudan. 20 years, 20 years, he was a child. And so now, think of yourself, Dave, you've got two kids. Um, they're, they want a future. You, you and Bonnie want a hope for them for a good life. And you're looking around the camp and thinking, I could live here for 10 years. And yes, someone's giving me food. Yes, I have um, a tent to sleep in. Fortunately, I'm in Greece, not in Finland. So it's warm. But someone offers you a job and it doesn't matter how risky it is. You want something that says you do have a future, that you're not trapped in that camp forever. You've set up the the importance of why you're going to Greece. What will you do when you actually get there? And you mentioned there's such a big issue, of course. Um, How do you... What do you do? And then how do you engage the students in this process, not only of serving, but learning? Well, they are going to study before we go. So the six weeks before they have weekly assignments, they're going to become experts on what is happening in Athens, Greece. And that's uh, always a prerequisite to stepping up and saying something or trying to do something to make a difference. So our students will be prepared. When we arrive on the ground, We will engage with a particular organization. It is a humanitarian initiative of bridges for Syrians. And we'll work with them. They have grown and been recognized in Europe and internationally. They have outgrown their original office and now have an entire center. And when we originally talked, we were going to be volunteers at the center, and we'll still do that. But when... Um, I talked just a couple of weeks ago with the director, Vula Antoine, and her husband, um, Elias Antoine. They were so clear that communicating human dignity to people in this kind of unknown future, um, they're trapped in this, in this place, is the key aspect. And Vula, we were on a Zoom, I could see her face, and she didn't have words. And she finally said, they just want to know that someone sees them. Do you think your students are going to be comfortable just holding their hands? Mm. And I, I thought about that a lot. So part of what we're doing, because there are people who can't get in the camps, they're, they're waiting in line. So the camps, I've just described what it feels like. It feels like you're trapped yeah. and, and your future is on hold, your family is on hold. And we already know that that means that you're going to be much more um, willing to take huge risks with just an offer of a job. It won't be hard. The traffickers don't have to be really skilled at what they're doing. 
And so when we go, we're going to go out into the city with Bridges and meet with families, then young people particularly, that's what we want to do, and talk to them and listen and hear their story. Um, We will metaphorically be making sure that they know that someone has seen them, that we recognize their situation, we recognize their human dignity, we, we are interested and we care about what their circumstances are. That might be hand-holding as a, as a metaphor as well. Um, we intend to bring, you know, I love t- bringing technology along with us, so we actually picked up a couple of the little printers that work with your phone because these are people who are very transient. You don't know if you'll see them again. And we want to take our students to take pictures with them um, and and then give it to them so that they have a have proof that someone from another country cares about them and knows that they're there. And then secondly, when you talk about learning, I know that my students are going to learn a lot about what it takes to take blue bags of groceries out to people who have no resources. I know that my students are going to learn and be inspired about what it takes to organize and develop um, this kind of an initiative. There will be students that will go on to lead nonprofits. That's the the history that we're beginning to see as a result of our our study abroad programs, introducing students to new ways of addressing things. But ultimately, I believe that their real service in this humanitarian crisis will be to come back with a first-person story and communicate and educate our community, our campus, of the cities where they live, their hometowns, their home churches, so that this is a personal issue, not a public crisis that doesn't that doesn't have any um, any connection to who I am. And when I get in the car uh, today on my way here, I was inconvenienced by half an hour because of a car accident. And I tried to practice mindfulness and tell myself I'm so grateful that I wasn't involved in the accident. I'm hopeful that no one got seriously hurt. Those kinds of things. But what does it mean? to think about the bigger crisis of individuals whose lives are now on hold. How do, how do you how do you begin to frame that in a way that it becomes part of your personal identity and your conversation here in Orange County? Mm. So part of this is um, the being present and, um, and, and really honoring those people while you're there and building those relationships. And like you're saying, using some of the technology tools that are available to um, continue that, to have that experience of being listened and heard and noticed and seen, as you said. And also then the students themselves taking away that experience, that personal connection to it. What do you hope when they come back that they're thinking or doing differently when they return here later in the summer and going into the next academic year? I think that when the subject of the refugee crisis is raised in the news, 
um, that they're going to respond, that they're going to use social media, their, their highway to communication. Um, I'm certainly going to, to tweet about it, use Facebook, even Instagram, because the closer you are to the person telling the story, the more impact it has. And, and that will affect how we advocate for public policy in response to this right here in Orange County. We already have um, refugees here in our county. So instead of feeling fearful, perhaps um, my students will come back and actively look for, seek out refugees to continue that dialogue. You know, I have I have a story from my friend Vula that she sent me in an email just a few days ago, and she changed the names, but because I know her, and she sends me this story, it's very meaningful to me. And I hope, Dave, that if I share this story with you, because now it's too removed, it still has meaning. It's not like reading a newspaper article and or a, an online news service. I don't think I've held a newspaper in my hand in at least a few months. Uh, hey, no, yeah, me I don't too. know. I think they pass them out on the plane on my way back from Istanbul. That might be it. But we click away from the story. We read the first paragraph and then we click to the next story. So I'm going to take time to tell you a story from my friend Vula. The names are changed. Mahmoud and Ahmad came to us one Friday night just before we closed. It was a very cold January night. We got an in- interpreter for them as they spoke only Farsi and Kurdish. They told us they had been homeless for 20 days, sleeping here and there, and they had heard that Bridges had power to assist them. Even though we explained we don't offer accommodation, and for single men, even the central system has a waiting list of months. They were insisting that we could make it. During this discussion, they ask us, do you know what homelessness is doing to you? Do you know how we shall be changed after this month on the streets? When someone gets rejected, they will reject back. They were right, but still, we could do nothing. We spent lots of time with them, listening to them and their story. Finally, they looked up and said, we shall leave and believe that when we step out, you will totally forget about us. I assured them how precious they are, and surely I wouldn't forget. For a couple of months, we didn't see them until the holiday, Nerus, which is a big Middle Eastern holiday, that we visited a camp and we, so, we support a celebration for the residents there. And these two brothers were there. Someone who knew us directed us to them. And a few days, they were allowed to go in. And they were so happy to meet us. When I saw them, this is what I said. I remember you. They absolutely were so empowered because someone did remember them, recognize them. They weren't a faceless um, two brothers in the crowd. And then last week, when the camp sent people to their facilities to visit, these two brothers came. And they stopped in and they said, we came here asking for accommodation. But when we came in, 
we realized accommodation was not our priority need. We needed someone to listen to us, to listen and warm our heart and love us. You were not able to help us in accommodation, but you gave us what we actually needed. They all gave us, they all gave us numbers. They gave us numbers to get into the camp. They gave us numbers for transportation, but we are not a number in a computer. We shall never forget this. That night, we left here without housing, but for some reason, we were in peace. We were homeless and happy, but I couldn't understand why. We all want to come here now because it feels like charging the batteries of our souls. Mm. Charging the batteries of our soul. So the physical needs are outweighed by the needs of the soul. And being a number, having no personal identity. I have 12 eager students who are ready to go out and recognize the personal identity to engage, listen to their stories, and to remember their faces and bring those memories back here so that it's a first-person account. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm recalling our previous episode with um, Annalisa and Relay Mm -hmm. talking about all the numbers involved in this and how in spite of the good work that uh, many of our organizations are doing on ending human trafficking, like the, the, the challenge and the numbers and the staggering um, situation. And as course, as we know, um, folks who are in a situation like a refugee camp and, and the disadvantage, not only the, the, the physical disadvantages, but the emotional disadvantages you just talked about uh, really do unfortunately make them even more um, a target for traffickers. Um, and do we know the numbers involved as far as, e- even within where you're going in Greece and Athens, do you know the numbers as far as refugees invo- and uh, who are there and waiting? Do you have a sense of that? The numbers, um, I, I asked that question of Vula, who's the director of this program, and she said the numbers change every day, every day. Mm. Um, there, there was a, a report, because it takes a year to tabulate numbers and to, so that they're actually considered statistics. Sure. And so... In, um, in one report of the number of children, unaccompanied children that claimed asylum in Europe in 2015 was 96,000. So these are 96,000 children who are not with their parents. Wow. And um, that's about a fifth of the total number of child refugees. So half a million child refugees is sort of a consensus number, but it's very mushy, if you will. And at least 10,000 unaccompanied children have dropped off the radar of official agencies since arriving. In um, Germany earlier this year, here, 2017, 4,700 children have been lost to officials. In Sweden, they say they are missing 10 children a week. Now they call children anybody under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Turkey, which is not um, reflected in these numbers, they um, estimated 10,000 missing children. 
in the um, the Mediterranean area, the most recent report, 5,000 missing children. And these are, these are kids, adolescents, they want to help their families. Someone offers them a job and then they take that risk. And especially if they're not in a camp and they're not safe and they don't have a place to sleep, telling them don't take a job doesn't do prevention. Yeah. Um, creating community so that they take care of each other and they have a place to go where they do feel like they belong to someone, they belong to to a group, um, that's going to be better prevention because they're going to talk to them about the risks of this job they've been offered. Someone knows where they are. There's a way to communicate. What I love about um, this humanitarian initiative that Bridges is doing is they chose the name Bridges not because they wanted to be a bridge to relief from Syria to Athens, but they wanted to be a bridge to connect people. And they have they have partners now in several other European countries. So if a, a family member has gained access of visa and is in Germany and they land in Greece, then bridges can help them find their family members and help them communicate by email, etc., um, the wonderful thing about Vula and Elias is we have a long history with them. They attended the school and then worked at the school where Jean was the director when we lived in Greece. It's about relationship. It's not about, oh yeah, we're doing this, so we're going to find a partner to do it with. We have relationship and that belonging creates a safety net. And every time you crisscross the um, those partnerships, the safety net gets stronger. So the, um, and Vula's background, like our previous guest, she's a social worker. So she has the knowledge base for how to do the processing of all the paperwork. Elias is actually from Syria. And so he speaks the language. And for them, this is an opportunity to use their unique skills to be build a safety network across their region. And we're just grateful to be a part of that and that we have already got a connection there. So that's kind of the the way I see this opportunity for our students. And when we bring 12 students back to the U.S., it will be like 12 more strands in this safety net. Indeed. It's such an exciting opportunity for the students and for this effort, and yet it's so daunting too. Just thinking about the numbers, I mean, think about you know, like ten thousand children disappearing off the radar screens. Uh, you know, you think about going to—I mean, here in the states, like going to watch a baseball game of you know in a stadium of thirty or forty thousand. Like, you picture a third of that people in that stadium, all children, and just—that's a great picture. Just vanishing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just really um, that's really heartbreaking. You know, it, it really gets to the numbers we were talking about last episode of like how big the numbers are and how much work we still have to do on this. And this extends, this conversation extends beyond Syrian refugees. We have other refugees, um, especially in the Mediterranean, 
that are escaping violence from Africa, Northern Africa. So they, you've seen pictures of boats that are so full, they capsize and oh, people drown. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you come back to our own community, to Orange County, we have refugees here. We have refugees that are in detention centers waiting for their court trial. You can have a personal connection. You can visit them. Um, you can make... Uh, them understand that we do see them, that we do know that they are there. They do exist. They're not a computer number waiting in the system. When my students come back, uh, one of the things that we intend to do is keep that connection to the refugee community. We have World Relief right here in Orange County and and, and across many of um, the places here in the U.S. where our listeners live. Reach out to them and find out what are the needs. How can I get involved in creating hope and making sure that someone who through no fault of their own, are they're now homeless, they're in a different country, they're just there to survive. How can we make sure that they are seen and are not a number and we hopefully um, build hope by creating community for them? Mm. A powerful reminder, Sandy, and of course, um, there's not a place where this show's heard where that's not the case, where there are refugees, and um, so there's so meant much of this in the world right now, unfortunately, not only coming out, it's other places too, but of course, Syria, and um, the opportunity is there everywhere, for better or worse, um, and so like everything we talk about on the show, the, the challenge is there, of course, but also there's the opportunity for us to reach out and connect, and as we always talk about partner Mm-hmm. Rather than starting something new or going off on our own, like looking for where the work is already being done, what are the organizations that need our support and our help, and how do we partner uh, and build those relationships like you've talked about to to help and to be a real voice? And, you know, we don't ever do this on this show, but I want to let listeners know that if you want to contribute to the work um, that we're doing in Greece, you can go on um, to our Vanguard dot edu gcwj and find um, the link to actually support our team going Um, we want to be able to take resources last time i talked to to vula she our meeting was on a on a phone um, and i said well i'll wait and until you get to the office and you can um, be on your laptop and she said well my laptop broke and i don't have a laptop so we have some priorities that are very unusual um, in going on this team this year. And so those kind of resources would be really helpful. Yeah. So going to the website would help with that um, vanguard.edu slash GCWJ. Uh, of course, you can reach out to us to GCWJ at vanguard.edu if you'd like to know more details. Um, for folks who are interested in that, Cindy, how long are the, are you going with the students? How long are you there logistically? The students are there for two weeks. Um, I'm there for three, and we are uh, looking at how do we continue that relationship, and we'll probably arrange to take other students in the future. Mm. This is an ongoing crisis, and it's not, you can't just do something now, and then we're going to move off and do something else. So in community, you stay connected. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, it's it's such a powerful example, Sandy, of what you do so much, uh, which is traveling the world, building relationships, uh, looking for the opportunities to serve and to listen 
and to uh, know that people are being seen by us and the rest of the world community. And um, and in this case, so exciting that you know you're doing uh, what you do often, which is bringing students with along too for that experience, and uh, and will uh, will be an experience they'll take with them for the rest of their lives. That's such I a, think so too. I think so a, too. It's such a powerful example. Of and that. and that community, as we wind up, um, ended up having a really special outcome because from the region of the world where those refugees are are coming. Um, our friends in the Kurdistani northern part of Iraq, uh, you've had we've had an interview with Dr. Sami uh, from the Kurdistan regional government. They've been here to Vanguard for training. He was named the human trafficking commissioner this last fall, but we weren't able to pull together resources to bring a team here. Um, and so because we're going to be in Athens, he's bringing his eight top leaders on their human trafficking task force to Athens. And we're going to be able to provide some um, partnership training with um, Bridges, with the Greek government and other Europe partners. And it's just a great example of relationship is always more important than resources. Mm, just uh so true, Sandy. So true. I, I'm really grateful for the work you're doing as always. And I so appreciate you taking your time to share the stories with us. Uh, whether, um, you know, each one of us have a part, uh, each one of us have one of those handles to grab onto Sandy, uh, whether it is studying the issues and, um, being an advocate in our own communities of helping out uh, locally, of sharing stories, of reading, of, um, telling someone about human trafficking, um, of of making a donation to support an effort like this, uh, whatever involvement we have, it makes a difference in this effort. And everyone working together in partnership is is the thing that's ultimately going to uh, to contribute to all of us ending this. So, Sandy, um, I hope folks will reach out to us if they have questions or they'd like to know more about the trip or maybe how to support it. Um, you can do that by emailing us at gcwj at vanguard.edu. That does stand for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And of course, you can reach us by phone to 714-966-6360. And if you've been listening to this show for a bit and it's been helpful to you, we hope you'll take a moment to rate or review the show on iTunes. If you use iTunes for listening to podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating or review that helps others in the global community find the show and uh, continue to join our community so we can all work together. Sandy, thank you so much and see you in two weeks. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care, everyone.